I just don't think it's a planet of space dragons. And holy shit, if it's a planet of space dragons, come back to this moment in this podcast and be like, Todd, you're wrong. Get dunked on. I've never wanted to have sex with a pot pie, but like, I'd have sex with that pot pie. We're all weak to stepping on nails. Let me preface this by saying I wrote a script. Daytona Beach is like two mild inconveniences for being a post-apocalyptic wasteland anyway. So many of my tabs say semen. Are you guys ready for this weird horny adventure that we're all about to go on? You can't handcuff me for skanking. This motherfucker gaslights you. Diet Coke and Sorrow will be chapter four. And against all odds, Kyle, we became those squirrely weirdos. This whole podcast is a very negative mouthfeel. Hello and welcome to Debate This, the show where no one is right, but someone is definitely wrong. In this show, we take time out of our busy adult lives to talk about comic books, video games, and also, hello and welcome to the Plus is Loose, Colin Shang-Chi. <laughs> My name is Matt Cole and joining me today is Todd, is that the guy from Iron Man 3? Thomas. It, it is Todd. Is that the guy from Iron Man 3, Thomas? That is correct. Now, a few formalities to get out of the way early. First, this is your spoiler alert for the 25th movie to join the MCU, and possibly the greatest movie ever made, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. We're going to cover plot details and Easter eggs, so if you haven't seen Shang-Chi yet, hit pause right now, tell everyone in your vicinity that you'll talk to them in about two and a half hours, and get to your nearest movie viewing location immediately. The second formality before we begin is to light a prayer candle as the DT main feed says goodbye to sidebars forever. As Debate This and our sister show The Plus is Loose continue to grow, it really just made more sense for our movie review episodes to migrate to the PIL feed. Sidebar colon Chang-Chi will be uploaded to both feeds, and all sidebars moving forward will live on the Pluses Loose feed. Now, if you've never heard of the Pluses Loose, it's our Marvel slash Disney Plus watch-along show, and you should go subscribe to it right now on your podcatcher of choice. For those of you with fond memories of our other filler sidebars, like our product placement in games or mailbag episodes, we have some exciting updates about our Patreon coming over the next month, that you should definitely keep an eye on. All right, without further ado, you came here to listen to us lose our ding-dang minds over Shang-Chi. So Todd, what did you think of our newest ocular injection of Marvel content? So listeners, I'll set the stage real quick. Matt and myself went in person to see this movie at the very first showing in Columbus, Ohio, Thursday. Um, and I, I think that that was the energy we brought to this because we were expecting good things and this movie did not disappoint. Um, we, I think Matt and I have the same feelings of this movie that it, it certainly places itself firmly in the top five Marvel movies easy. And I would say it is, if not the best, it is at least one of the best origin stories of the Marvel universe. And in fact, I'm just going to say that I think had... The only one that I think really holds a light to it was Black Panther, and we had already gotten a taste of T'Challa prior to his own origin story. So, incredible movie, incredibly well done. Uh, I just saw the reviews. I think it got 92 on Rotten Tomatoes and, like, high 90s from, like, their critic scores. Um, just really, really great. And I know we're going to... I don't want to, like, talk about the things that I love the most about it because I think we're going to talk about those things. But, man, it was just such a good movie. Yeah, all 100% agree. This moved its way immediately into my top three Marvel movies. And I sat and I thought about it for a while. And I decided that this is number two. This is my second favorite Marvel movie underneath Age of Ultron. Um, which is a hot take, but I'm not going to talk about that today. Um, but this is absolutely my favorite solo film. I agree. I think the only... Uh, origin films that really hold a candle to to this are Black Panther and Iron Man 1. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's really any other, like, Ant-Man is good, Doctor Strange is fine, Captain Marvel is fine, but this, as a solo film, was so incredibly strong. And mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the solo films that we're getting these days still give us somebody else and, like, yeah. still, you know, slide a, another person in there. And I guess... We got Wong and Abomination, but those are not main MCU persons. This mm -hmm. was a solo film 
carried entirely by the characters in this solo film, and it was phenomenal and beautiful, and I don't have enough good things to say about it. I don't know if I just said what I meant. I have too many good things to say about it. I loved this movie. Just for comparison, think about what Thor 1 was, and think about how Thor 1 also tried to establish a brand new universe of this alternate dimension with mythological beings of different sorts, and think how it was executed. And now take this. And whether you want to... And I mean, obviously, like I can't say the Thor cast was star-studded. Not to say this is not, but just shows you how much different polish and better performance we are getting. How much more love is put into these movies and what we have to show for it. Right. And I think a lot of that comes down to not only the protagonist characters that we got, but how good Marvel has gotten for giving us sympathetic antagonists. Yes. And the way that they really like twisted the knife in you to fall in love with everybody on every side of this movie and really see what they're bringing to the table and what their motivations are. And that's such a strong point of this movie. Except for the death eaters. Except for the Death Eaters, who are just bad. <laughs> um, yeah, and I I think I just want to, like, say up front, too, that people more qualified than us two white dudes on a podcast will talk about how important the representation in this movie is and is going to be for kids growing up who are getting to see themselves as Asian superheroes on the big screen for the first time. And that's huge and amazing, and I loved that as a viewer who isn't that person, and I have really enjoyed getting to hear from folks in our Patreon and other friends of mine how important that has been to them, much in the same way that Black Panther was for black kids getting to see themselves as a superhero for the first time. So I didn't want this podcast to go on without us taking a moment to acknowledge that i also wanted to make it clear that we are two white dudes and aren't going to sit here and say this movie was such an amazing thing for representation because that feels incredibly insincere coming from the two of us so i just wanted to put that on the table real quick and with that out there let's go ahead and plow through some plot points of shang chi so again last time spoiler warning Here we go. The movie opens with the Legend of the Ten Rings, a mystic artifact controlled by an immortal warlord who creates an army of the same name. The warrior, who we later find out to be named Zhu Wenwu, conquers the known world and topples governments at will until he is stopped at the gate of Talo, a mystic land guarded by a shifting forest and an absolute badass named Ying Li. Ying Li beats the tar out of Wenwu, they fall in love, give up their ways, have kids, and live happily ever after, and nothing bad ever happens to them ever again. Todd, <laughs> give me your thoughts on this new background story for the Ten Rings. So, when we get to this moment where uh, Wenwu and Ying Li like, interact and do their falling in love fight dancing... Um, it was one of those moments where I started to kind of roll my eyes. I was like, well, this seems like a forced love story. But when we get Wenwu recounting this interaction to his children later, you start to see like the whole point about how, um, I think it was, I think Wenwu was recounting it, or Yingli, one of them. But they, you get the, the recount of how uh, Yingli was able to like change Wenwu's heart. And, like, you actually then get the story about how Wenwu was ready to give up immortality and dominating the world and doing all these things because he found love. And it goes back to your to your sympathetic um, villain story, which, I mean, we'll probably talk more about. I thought this was great. Um, obviously, there's no way they were thinking about this back when they did Iron Man 1. Iron Man 1 was had this so far ahead that there was no idea they were planting these seeds and obviously, in the times of Iron Man 1 and 2, and probably even a lot of 3, um, the Ten Rings were just, like, token Middle Eastern terrorist organization. Which, yep. like, we've talked a lot about the, the, the themes in the United States while those movies were being made. And I think that all... I, would, I don't want to say it, it makes sense or is good, but it, it, it makes sense based upon the time they were made. 
I liked this a lot. The fact that it firmly rooted that Wenwu was this like dominator of of society's conqueror, immortal, could not be challenged, and did it for thousands of years. And then in searching for absolute power, found a match that changed his heart and said, you know what, I'm done. I'm 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 done doing that. And which set this really nice stage for when he lost that, he then broke bad again and went back for power. So all in all, I thought that this gave a really cool, neat framing to the Ten Rings organization and to the character that we had long known as the Mandarin. Um, it To me, it seems like Marvel's doing a really, really good job of taking their biggest missteps and trying to fix them or at least make us look at them with different eyes to say, okay, well, that's that's fine, I guess. And so all in all, I, I like what they did. I it made Wenwu seem sympathetic. You went back and forth how many different times in this movie deciding if you liked him or if you didn't like him. And truly, until the last minute, you're still really battling with that. And I think that that was really well done. Yeah, and how good was Tony Leung as Wenwu, mm. who I have not seen a lot of Tony Leung's movies, but I know that he's a massive star in Chinese cinema. And so, like, he could not have been a better casting for mm-hmm. this role. Um, I think the other really interesting thing about this legend is that they skipped over where Wenwu got the Ten Rings, mm-hmm. the artifacts of the Ten Rings, which we'll talk about it a little bit more later, but the Ten Rings in the comics are very different than the Ten Rings we got on screen this weekend. Yeah. Uh, and again, we'll talk about it more later, but I think it's really interesting that they sort of skipped over that in this opening mm-hmm. scrawl. So fast forward like 20 ish years to valet Sean, who does AM pushups to stay cut as hell and sings karaoke after parking cars. Also has a best friend with a genuinely surprising knowledge of NASCAR history at this point, Todd, now that we have met some of our main characters, what did you think of Sean and Katie? So I really like Aquafina. Um, I my first interaction, uh, my first time I guess ever experiencing Aquafina was when she hosted SNL once, and I was like, she is legitimately funny, and I really like her. And so when I saw that she was casted into this role, I was like, all right, she's gonna be the funny sidekick friend. Which I mean, she kind of played that, but she also once again, we had the character who plays us. Like, yes. who, who is who is the, the audience replacement at times? Um, and so, you know, I think when we were introduced to these two, obviously we already know something is up with, quote, Sean. Um, that's why we're here. And uh, I, I think they did a good job saying these are two people in, like, their late 20s, early 30s, just running away from adulthood, just, like, living it up. Um and so, I don't know, I think that was fun. It was a fun framing to be like, oh boy, I can't wait to see what happens to these two kind of thing. So, I, you know, I didn't know, I didn't expect much out of Katie's character at this moment. Um, and I think we got some some cool moments later. But uh, at this point, I was like, all right, like, I see what we're going for. Like, these two people are about to have their worlds turned upside down with a record scratch. Yeah, right. That was... Uh... There was definitely, you could put a cut in there of like a, yep, that's me. Bet you're wondering how I got here. Um, I think there was like one scene when we were meeting Sean and Katie that when I watched the scene felt a little out of place. And then by the end of the movie, I was like, oh, I get it. Like it really did set up a lot of things. It really did all come back. And it was the scene of Sean going over to Katie's house Mm -hmm. where we meet Katie's mother, who is upset with her for not living up to her education. We meet Katie's brother, who is supportive of Katie and wants more for her, but she doesn't really give a lot of respect to. And we meet Katie's grandmother, Waipo, who not only pressures Shang-Chi into marrying Katie, but also gives us this really good moment of saying that letting go is an American idea Mm -hmm. and holding on to your dead and honoring your dead is central to Chinese culture. And all of those things really came back and really mirror Shang-Chi's family. And we'll talk about specifically that last one a little bit later on. 
and it's you know <laughs> so for listeners matt and i both went to the same liberal arts college for our undergrad and so we've we've both taken classes over society and culture and things like that and this is I think not to say anything specifically of the culture being represented, though there are certainly those those themes. I think this is this was a good commentary on the difference between uh, cultures and generations as they you know they they look back on um, the countries that people have come from and their grandparents have come from and their great grandparents have come from, and then maybe how they change as they go decade by decade, generation by generation. Because there was certainly that, like you said, I didn't really think much about it until you referenced Katie's brother, who also was living much like Katie, but they had very different views on society and what is right or what they want than their parents or grandparents. Yeah, exactly. So, something, 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 they end up fighting (laughs) assassins on a bus, and that's what I really want to talk about. Right? So give me your thoughts, Todd, on this bus fight and honestly just like the fight choreography in this whole movie. Man, I I know there's a ton to say and I don't want to cheapen it by keeping it short, but did this movie have the best fight choreography we've ever seen? Oh, because I feel like it did. And it was really, really, really good. Um, I, I couldn't get enough of the fight scenes. And, you know, I think that one of my one of my earliest memories of like the Marvel universe and what a good fight scene is would be like the season one daredevil Netflix where they did the continuous shots. There yeah. was always like one continuous shot in every season. That was this incredible fight scene and it would always get me super excited. And they gave it to the Punisher in one season. And this had a lot of that energy of like just these clean moments of such good fighting that was just so, so, so well done. Um, and that is everything from this like ground level bus scene to the third act epic that the fights were just so good. Like I'm excited to go and watch this again and try and pay attention to more of those details. Yeah, I am too. I've only gotten to see this movie once. And I think Todd and I both said before we started recording that we will likely see it again mm-hmm. before this episode actually comes out. But uh, I think that more attention and detail was put to the fight choreography specifically of the character Shang-Chi more than any character since probably like the winter soldier, because the only other fight choreography in the MCU so far that I can think of that really seems to be to the caliber of this movie is some of Bucky as the winter soldiers, like knife flips fights with Natasha fights with Steve that are very clearly like cleanly executed and super methodical, but outside of the MCU world, Maddie and I are like halfway through season two. Yeah. Season two of Netflix's iron fist, which is really bad. Yeah. It's so bad. And season two, honestly, the whole show of iron fist wants so desperately to be what Shang-Chi is. And it super isn't. And I think a lot of that comes down to the fight choreography and how good... Well, okay, it comes down to a lot of things. But the Mm -hmm. fight choreography doesn't help. um, (laughs) And how good the fight choreography in Shang-Chi is versus how bad it is in Iron Fist. Well, and I don't know if this is an Easter egg or just like a fact, but they had um, the part of the choreographer group or the person from The Matrix uh, Mm -hmm. was involved in this filming, which is... Not surprising when you have consumed both of those, you know, both of those movies and you compare them. Right. And what I really loved about this movie, like I've been a fan of martial arts movies forever. I'm not a super fan by any means. I can't tell you a bunch of scenes and a bunch of actors or anything like that. But I grew up on Power Rangers and I've loved martial arts and fighting movies ever since. And the effort to really show a difference between... Wen Wu's fighting style and Ying Li's very Tai Chi based fighting style mm-hmm. and Shang-Chi's modernization of both of those things. Just the effort put into diversifying the fighting styles and really like showing that was awesome. Also, this bus fight gave us Razor Fist for the first time. <laughs> Real canon comic book character Razor Fist who has knives for hands. That was pretty wild. I... And again, like just one more showing of Marvel taking a ridiculous piece of source material and making it work. And all of us in the end saying, all right, 
Yeah. Sure. Like, give me give me give me that. That's it's they're they're really giving us like a paste pot Pete. You know, like <laughs> like you gave us a comical knife hand guy and it just worked and no one really asked questions about it. Right. And I think that if you look at the source material of Shang-Chi, it needed so desperately, especially the early stuff, the more modern Shang-Chi stuff, the books that are running now, not so much, but the stuff from the 70s desperately needed to be updated. I mean, they've already retconned a lot of those books. We've alluded to it in the past. A lot of these characters that we see in this movie are based and based, I, I would put in quotes and say very loosely on Marvel characters that are harsh stereotypes and really ugly naming conventions and things that desperately needed an update. And so it's really good to see Marvel Studios doing this in a way that I think shows the the connection to the source material as much as it needs to, but doesn't try to even honor or remember those super racist things that were in Marvel books in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean that we're not ever actually going to see a Fing Fang Foom? Is that what you're saying, Matt? Or a, or a Fu Manchu, because both of those are terrible and awful and bad. Yep. All right, so uh, after some plot, Sean, who we learn is actually named Shang-Chi, which, like, what a great scene of Katie being like, you changed your name? You changed your name from Shang to Sean? Yeah. What are you, loser? Like, come on. <laughs> anyway, they fly to Macau, China, to find his sister, Zhu Ling. This scene was talked about a lot after we got some trailers, with many believing this fighting tournament would be central to the plot of the movie. So what were your thoughts both before you saw the movie and after? Also, we have to talk about the multitude of Easter eggs in this scene, including maybe an extremist soldier, the flag of Madripoor, and MFing Wong fighting <laughs> GD Abomination. I was firmly in the camp that I thought we were getting a Mortal Kombat style tournament movie. Super thought we were getting that. The earliest plot leaks where people were making speculation were were basically saying that. Like, we're going to get all of the greatest, you know, fighters. We're going to see X-Men in there. We're going to see all this stuff in there. And I was like, all right, yeah, sure. Because some of the early leaks, too, were saying early speculation. I would say now that we know differently. We're saying that this is going to be set during the snap, which I firmly believed as well. Like, it is during the snap. People are vying for power because there's a vacuum. Cool. Makes sense. We didn't get any of that. Um, and, and you know, obviously, I think that would be very, very cool. But we still got some neat fighting tournament stuff. Um, I thought that the two fights that we did see were great for different reasons. Um, I think that they pushed the plot along. Um, I, I think that to to just hit the Easter egg, some of them a little bit, because obviously we're going to hit them again later, um, I have way more questions than answers about Abomination and Wong. I you have, and me both, buddy. There are, I, you know, we are just huge nerds on this show, and I feel like usually if they give us a little thread to pull on, I can be like, I have like five good guesses of what that is. I don't have really any good guesses of what this is. Nope. Um, knowing that the last time we saw Abomination, he was hauled away um, and and put. He wasn't on the raft. He was on a different um, a different storage facility that I think was referenced in Agents of Shield. Yeah, according to Agents of Shield, he's in I think Antarctica in a, yes. a Marvel prison that I think is called the Freezer. Feels right. Which obviously he is not, and somehow yeah. he's connected to Wong, um, which I, you know, that's just, well, I don't know. I don't know what that's going to be. We'll talk a bit about it in Easter Eggs, because Abomination is already slated to return in a different Disney Plus series. Um, I did think it was neat to see some smaller Easter Eggs of these excellent fighters of an extremist soldier, a Black Widow. Um, I didn't catch the flag of Madripoor, but I certainly believe it, because that has the same energy of what we were doing here. So I, I thought this was a really cool um, a really cool bit that showed what uh, Zhu Jialing was up to and showed how she had built her own mini empire, which then became foreshadowing. Yeah, I feel very similarly on all counts. Uh, the one thing I'll say is that I also thought we were getting a Mortal Kombat tournament movie, 
And after watching the two fight scenes we got, I very much want a Mortal Kombat <laughs> tournament movie. Give it to me, Marvel, you cowards. Um, I, that last, like, roundhouse crescent kick of oh, Xi Ling decking uh, Shang-Chi was maybe my favorite thing I've ever seen in a Marvel movie. Like, that last hit of him just getting dirted and then staring through the glass floor trying to pick himself up was mm-hmm. such a like it just showed the scale of fighters and how outclassed Shang-Chi really could be mm-hmm. in the realm of people who have actually stuck with their training and fighting for years and years. I don't know where else we're going to talk about it, so I want to just give it the quick plug here. I said in our in our Patreon only Discord about how this movie was one more entry into the phase four through line of like, do you want complex stories about emotions and family and love? Cause boy, howdy, you're going to get complex stories about emotions and family and love that they did such a good job peppering this movie with, you know, uh, flashbacks and, and little bits of their history that before that, that windmill kick to Shang-Chi's face, um, we got like the cutaway of how, you know, as a child, Shang-Chi was just, like, harsh to his sister about her mother's, or about their mother's death. And so I, I just, it was so passionate and full of fire, and I just, it was so good. I I didn't think that in the middle of a kung fu tournament we were going to get a flashback about, like, the cruelty children can show to one another in a tough situation, but we got it, and it made sense. Right? Yeah, like... Punch, punch, kick, kick. By the way, cry a little, kick one more time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right, so when Wu and his immortal crew show up and capture our trio, they all return to the Ten Rings base, and we get, in my opinion, the best retcon <laughs> of the MCU ever, undoing the sins of Iron Man 3. Speaking of Iron Man 3, is that Ben Kingsley? Todd, can you break down what we got here? So, again, for the listeners, Matt and I saw this together um, with some other people, and there were audible reactions from from Matt during this. Um, I don't think, and Matt, correct me if you're wrong, I don't think you were aware Ben Kingsley was in this. No, I super, I, Matt and I sat down and, and watched the uh, All Hail the King short. Mm-hmm. We watched the Ten Rings Marvel Legends on D Plus Thursday morning, and then she watched Iron Man 3 throughout the day. I was busy working. And while we were on the way to the movie theater, she was like, I bet we're going to see the Mandarin from Iron Man 3 again. I was like, there's no way. They're not <laughs> bringing Trevor Slattery back to this stupid movie. They're not going to do it. And here we are. Well, so I had shared with Matt that there was, for the people that dissect trailers frame by frame, you could see uh, Trevor Slattery in the background of one of the last few trailers where they were showing the big lineup for the final fight, the third act fight. And you could see a character that looked a lot like Ben Kingsley. And I think collectively the entire internet was like, is that Ben Kingsley or just a guy that kind of looks like Ben Kingsley? So I had a pretty good guess he was going to be here. Um, I loved this retcon and what they did for a couple of reasons. It allowed Wen Wu to make fun of how stupid the whole thing is um, by saying like, they chose the Mandarin. A name a dish a dish about chicken the color yeah. orange that's what they did anyway i'm never saying the word mandarin again i'm moving on i've had a lot of names none of that matters and you're like oh cool like that's dope thank you for just getting rid of that and then to actually introduce trevor slattery back in and explain why he's super not dead and then like try and continue to play on that character development and i mean i hope i hope we just don't ever see if we see Ben Kingsley ever again, it's it's fleeting. But I, I think that was really well done. And I mean, they obviously could have just done nothing with it. Yeah. They could have just been like, yeah, we, we killed the imposter. We kidnapped him and we tortured him and he's dead. But they actually went so far to give a reason why he's still alive. Let him be a plot device for speaking with a magical faceless um, elephant winged thing. And then just like, let it be. So I was I was happy with what they did. I thought that was fun. I didn't know what I expected, but it wasn't that. Yeah, same, same. I definitely did not expect him to come back. I also definitely love the retcon of the... They named him now for a chicken dish, uh, which I thought was really good. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. If we get Ben Kingsley back, we get 
Ben Kingsley back, whatever. It was definitely fun. If you're listening to this and you are like, what the all hail the king short? What what the hell is that? It's on Disney Plus. The reason you haven't heard of it and the reason that nobody watched it is because it was a bonus feature on the Thor The Dark World DVD. It was. So, like, nobody fucking bought that movie. Todd bought that um, movie. Basically, it was how the MCU originally retconned the Ten Rings from Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 3. So, mm-hmm. that is available on Disney Plus right now. It was up until this weekend, the last time that we had met the character Trevor Slattery. And also... Um, isn't it Justin Hammer that's also yeah, in Yeah, Justin that? Hammer's in there. Yeah, so uh, definitely worth the watch. It's on D-plus right now. I think the, the thing that I was going to add as well is I think this is one more nail in the coffin of Marvel trying to say the Ten Rings and, like, the token shadowy Middle Eastern, Eastern terrorist group that falls into a number of problematic racial tropes is not necessary. We do not need that. It is bad. And so it was one more time for them to say, like, LOL at this group picking the name the Mandarin. Isn't that really stupid? It's stupid when people do stupid shit. Anyway, I'm done. Like, I think it was just one more time to be like, that does not matter. We are not carrying that forward. We can do better. Exactly. So moving on a little bit, we also learn that Wenwu is hearing the voice of his dead love asking him to free her from a gated prison in Tala. We'll get back to that in a couple of minutes. So my new favorite plushie, Morris, who is actually, uh, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, I'm sorry, uh, Dijang, 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 I think it's Dijang, leads our fearsome foursome out of the compound compound, and to the gates of Talo, where we meet Aunt Yingnan and Master Guangbo. We, the viewer, are gifted with a third-act exposition dump and what I fully believe to be the most beautiful locale in the MCU. Todd, give me your thoughts on Talo, the story we were told about defending our realm, and the crazy types of magic we saw here. It was beautiful. Um, And this is kind of what I said earlier, that we have had an hour of Talo, maybe. 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 And I thought it was more thoroughly fleshed out and explained than most of Asgard was in the first two movies. Um, I think that it was really, really well done. They explained it was like a pocket dimension where magic exists and there are magical creatures and there is a special energy that they have harnessed and harnessed and the uh, magic of dragon keeps them powerful to defend from this really terrible nightmarish hellscape behind a big gate. Like, they gave us everything, and it was great, and I loved it. And I thought that the fun car chase in Razor Fist's uh, SUV that was all, like, doped out with Razor Fist insignia on it, I thought that was also very fun. Yeah, Todd, have you done much research about Ta Lo in the comics? I've not. Okay, so I have done a little bit, and not as much as I will in the next couple of weeks, but what I learned is that Talo barely exists in the comics. It's only gotten a couple of references. It actually debuted in a Thor comic, and it's a heaven's realm where a race of basically godlike beings live, and Talo in the comics is accessed through... Um, each of the four great gates in China. So it's a little bit different, but this Talo that we got in Shang-Chi, again, I'm balls deep in season two of Iron Fist right now, <laughs> but sounded a lot like Kun Lun, mm. but is not Kun Lun, um, which like, thank God it's not Kun Lun, because sure. I've watched two seasons of Iron Fist and still don't totally understand what Kun Lun is. Um, and I, I think it's really... Interesting and another great example of the MCU pulling threads from the comics and weaving their own new continuity here in Earth 1999-99 without saying, like, this is where Shang-Chi is from in the comics and we've got to do it the exact same way. And I just really love it when the MCU pulls things in that barely have a, a base in the comics, you know? 
Well, and, and it's, it's a good example of how, uh, so I think there are tons of internet nerds that get bent out of shape and they're like, well, that doesn't follow the source material. If you want the source material followed in full, go read the comics. Yeah, go like, read the source material, you if nerd. You, if you just want that, but in moving picture form, I don't know what to tell you because it's not going to happen that way. Um, obviously, Marvel draws from different stories and they change them to fit their needs or to kind of what we're talking about right now, make them better. Um, which I know what this reminded me of, the fact that in the comics, like the the Mandarin character is not actually Shang-Chi's father. Like that is the right. character that you mentioned, Fu Manchu. Like yeah. that's and obviously Marvel was like, we don't we don't need to do that. Like that was bad fifty years ago. We can certainly do better now. And instead they took something that existed that needed to have something done with it. And then did something with it and made it good. For sure. So, the movie climaxes as the Ten Rings arrive in Talo, and Wu takes the rings to break down the wall. But not before gut-punching Shang-Chi into the lake where he meets the Great Protector Dragon. Wu unknowingly frees the dark-dwelling soul suckers, and all havoc breaks loose. Ultimately, this ends with Shang-Chi taking control of the rings and blowing up the dragon with the help of Ling, Katie, and the power of friendship. Todd, break down some of these final moments for me. Give me your thoughts. And also, earlier I mentioned Wu hearing the voice of his dead love. Go ahead and explain to me how that led us to this. Yeah, so um, we ended up in this place where the the dark demons behind this like dragon scale barrier were communicating with Wen Wu, um, and apparently everyone knew what was up except for Wen Wu. Like their aunt was like, it, it's talking to him because of the rings. They know the rings can free him. That's what they're doing. So everyone spends way too much time trying to tell Wen Wu that, and he's like, Nah, you're wrong. It's like her voice. She's in there, and they're like, She is not in there. Why would we do this? And like obviously that's kind of silly, but again, power hungry person. Um, has this, like, they're driven by rage and sadness and love. Um, I, you know, I liked the way they got to this. This was, again, one of those times where you empathized with the villain, where mm-hmm. the villain was like, I'm going to free my love, and I'm not going to let you stop me. And um, anyway, that that all ends up with, like you said, Shang-Chi speaking to the water dragon, which yeah. I, I got big vibes of, like, water dragon knew who they were slash embodied the spirit of their mother kind of thing. Like there is, there's a whole point where, um, Zaling like used her sweet dagger rope hammer weapon to clear the demons off of the dragon. And it like gave her this knowing look, which I wasn't sure if that was, I know who you are slash I'm representing your mother slash you're going to ride on me here in a little bit and it's going to be dope. Um, but I thought that this all... Be- how, how could we have guessed in what we knew from bus ride fight that we were going to get massive scale magical army fight to kaiju demon bat dragon fight? Um, I, I wouldn't have guessed we were going to get there. And I was pumped to see it all happen. It was just so, so, so well done. And not to like talk about all the coolest moments here, but as Shang-Chi gets the rings because his father kind of like sacrifices them himself to give them to Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi gets to do all this dope flying around magic. And it's just, it's so well done. Yeah. And there were a lot of really important pieces that kind of happened quickly throughout all of this. One thing we got in the exposition dump in Talo is that the people of Talo exist in their realm to protect our realm from the soul suckers dark. I think they call them dark dwellers Mm -hmm. um, or the dwellers of the dark, but the, the things behind the dragon gate. And as we get into this point and we'll talk about predictions later, but as we get into this point in the MCU where we know the multiverse is coming, we know things from the dark dimension are coming, yada, yada, yada. It's really interesting. I think to see these people who are protecting our realm unbeknownst to the people of our realm. Also is Talo one of the nine realms that Thor talks about 
who knows? Someone will have to answer that question for us <laughs> later. Uh, the other interesting thing that happens in all of this, we had talked a lot uh, amongst ourselves in our Discord, probably on the podcast at some point, about who is Death Dealer going to be? Death Dealer is going to be somebody. It's going to be Shang-Chi's mother. It's going to be Shang-Chi's <laughs> other <Nope>. sister. <laughs> no, Death Dealer is a red shirt and Death Dealer fucking dies. And yeah. that's all that matters about Death Dealer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right on. So uh, after this big battle and a funeral for those we lost, we find Shang-Chi and Katie back in San Francisco before enter Wong and some tasty post-credit goodness. Todd, what do you think that this beacon in the Ten Rings means for the MCU going forward? I have another question after this, and remember, I also ask you for long-form predictions at the end of the episode. (laughs) Um, So, you know, compartmentalize your thoughts. Yeah, I'll keep this one brief because I I know we want... at the We'll always wrap this up with what are, like, pie in the sky, like, 12 steps ahead. Um, I, I would say the most simplest takes from this question right ahead is... There is an extra, extra worldly being, like an, an uh, I don't want to say interdimensional, but like a, a being from somewhere in the galaxy solar system that is aware that the Ten Rings have shifted to someone else um, because they've been in the same person's control for thousands of years. And so I think that is the one easy call. What that is, who that is, I am going to hold on to all that speculation for the end because I can't get there yet. Um, the other thing that I take from this is that we obviously had Captain Marvel and Bruce Banner um, uh, kind of taking the call, and I think that reinforces the idea that we are getting more like cosmic adventures and Earth-based adventures. Um, I, I think I combined the word adventures and Avengers, but I think those still make <laughs> sense that that answer stands. Um, and if I wanted to take an ounce of speculation from this, Captain Marvel is definitely involved in like cosmic uh, Avengers and adventures. And we have Bruce Banner, who potentially represents more like Earth based dangers and adventures. Um, and I would say that Shang-Chi is going to end up being an Avenger. And that's dope. That's super dope. Hell yeah, it is. Hell yeah, it is. So, uh, and I'll I'll hold all my thoughts on that until Mm -hmm. the end as well, but the final stinger shows us Jai Ling and John John. (laughs) Like, who would have thought John John was coming back? But uh, they are relaunching and modernizing the Ten Rings. In the comics, Shang-Chi has a sister named, I'm going to butcher this one too, Shi Hua, who goes by Sister Hammer and becomes the leader of the Ten Rings. How do you think the Ten Rings organization returns to the MCU? Uh, We, spoiler, Matt and I talked about this briefly after the movie. Um, I think this organization, this Ten Rings organization, is going to steal some of the the business that maybe the Black Widow's organization was having. Um, Since there's no Red Room training organization anymore, this, we don't need... um, uh, outdated stereotyped terrorist organization um whereas this could be a less forthright more subtle um you know intelligence based uh world or country destabilizing toppling organization i'm left thinking about how um in the source material the white wolf is t'challa's stepbrother half brother i can't remember who runs this like global operation. And I get some of that energy here. Um, the, yeah, they are not going to be the, the same 10 rings we saw in the, the source material so far. They will be um, much more technological and modern. And yeah, I do think we sure. get them back. I don't, I don't know how we don't get them back. And maybe, maybe if we get a trilogy of Shang-Chi that in the third one, he has to go toe-to-toe with his sister, who has made or done something to be extra bad. Yeah, I, my kind of hope, I mean, we did talk after the movie last night, and um, I do feel at least somewhat that the shutting down of the Red Room and the Widow program opens up for a new secret fighting force in the world. But I kind of hope that the fact that Jai Ling, who ran a fight club, now taking over the Ten Rings, who 
like have a base in the mountains leads to us having a fight club at a base in the mountains and we get that Mortal Kombat tournament movie one more time Marvel give it to me you cowards <laughs> all right with all of that said we've got some Easter eggs to go through and we'll wrap up with our predictions but we are going to do that right after we do this all right we are back it's time to go through some Easter eggs now I will say this movie came out about 24 hours ago and I've only gotten to see it once so I don't have a whole horde of Easter eggs, but here are a few favorites. And before we start, I want to toss it to you, Todd, because you are prepped and ready with approximately four Chrome tabs <laughs> to talk about the Ten Rings in the comics and the Ten Rings we saw in the movies. And when we say Ten Rings, we don't even mean the organization. I mean the physical thing. So um, if you have consumed any of the source material, you know that the Ten Rings... Not the organization, but the ten rings, the magical items, are literally ten rings that go on fingers. They are ten different rings, and they each have a different power. Um, but, and we allude to it in the movie, like, who knows where they came from? Well, in the comics, they come from a society called the McLuhans. And the McLuhans, um, which I may be butchering how that is pronounced, but we won't know until it's set on screen. Um, <laughs> yep. The McLuhans are a race of space dragons. Yeah, so it is a, a race of space dragons. And anyway, um, the Ten Rings end up being these like devices that each one of them has a spirit of an ancient warrior locked into them. And so as everything is prone to do, it crashes onto Earth, the spaceship, and that is when the comic book Mandarin finds them and is warned not to take them, and then he takes them anyway. Um, additionally, a McLuhan, one of the space dragons is Fing Fang Foom, who I assume we will never see question mark. Who knows? I think that's the great protector. That's my, you I think, think that we will they never that see that. Fing Fang Foom. We got the great protector. Shut up. You have a dragon says <laughs> Kevin Feige. Yeah. If we ever get, um, if we ever get space dragons, then I mean, we're not too far off of like a, a planet symbiote evil Clintar space dragon. So who, who knows anyway, just real quick. So in the comics, so the, I think they changed these for a number of reasons. One. Wow. That is convoluted to drop. Um, two, you know, they have to leave something for, for more origin down the line, but three, we literally just got through a 10 year span of people collecting gems for a glove. And I think that if we then got, a guy wearing 10 rings on his fingers that all have these different powers imbued into him. I think that was too much. It was too much, too similar. And so what we end up getting are rings with eternal power and we don't know what all they do, but they are very powerful, obviously. But the source material, the 10 different rings are uh, the remaker, the ring of influence, um, the ring. Well, it's, and there's, there's subtext to all these, but I won't explain it unless we have to. The, the ring of spin in that slows down time uh, around the, the user. Whatever. Uh, the, yeah. The the spectral ring, which can make air move faster, be, appear ghostly, whatever. Um, Nightbringer, um, which controls the night. Brings uh, night. Yeah, it brings night. Um, the ring of zero... Um, it creates a or opens a beam of nothingness, creates a deafening boom as the vacuum is filled. Um, the liar's ring, um, a ring of lightning, just a ring of lightning, um, incandescence. And so that contains the miniature heart of a star. And then the uh, daimonic. Uh, so it is the irresistible urge that propels into the unknown. Uh, the compulsive creates loyalty, creates obsession. So that is like the very convoluted background of the Ten Rings. Um, I don't know what we're going to get, how they were made. Probably a foreign race of some time. Maybe they have ancient protectors in them. I just don't think it's a planet of space dragons. And holy shit, if it's a planet of space dragons, come back to this moment in this podcast and be like, Todd, you're wrong. Get dunked on. Yeah, for sure. I did look. I was curious. The first appearance of the what are called in the Marvel wiki, the Mandarin's rings, mm -hmm. as opposed to the 10 rings, the organization was in tales of suspense. Number 50 in 1964. Wow. So they've been around for a minute. They also just reek 
of 1960s Silver Age comic bullshit. So I think those are going to get heavily updated and, you know, they, they super deserve it. So other Easter eggs coming at you hot and fast. Starting off, Shang-Chi has a poster of 2004 cult classic Kung Fu Hustle in his bedroom. Kung Fu Hustle is one of my favorite movies and thus this Easter egg is important. We see an advertisement for a post-blip support group as Shang-Chi is headed to Katie's house. Marvel stated that Shang-Chi's name literally translates to the rising and advancing of the soul, which is pretty spot on to the summary of the journey that he goes through in this movie. Boy, howdy, there's a lot of yin-yang imagery in this movie. <laughs> Everything from Shang-Chi needing to find the balance between his father's rage and his mother's peace to the form the great protector swims around the lanterns before they depart. The Ten Rings logo, and that's Ten Rings, the organization, not the rings, has changed a bit since Iron Man 1. Originally, they were more like scimitar swords in the middle of the circle of rings, and all of the characters were Mongolian. They have been updated to the type of swords that the Ten Ring soldiers use, which, forgive me, I don't know what those swords are call called, they never made one on Forged in the Fire. Uh, <laughs> and the characters have been changed from Mongolian to Chinese. Now, there is some real-world reasoning for this, but this could also be because Wen Wu had only been back in power for a few years in 2008, and the Ten Rings organization that Obadiah Stane hired to abduct Tony Stark may not have been under the control of Wen Wu at the time. It could have been its own Ten Rings faction. Uh, Todd, did you know that the Mongolian government sent a cease and desist order to Marvel and told them to stop using Mongolian characters in the Ten Rings logo in Iron Man's 1 and 3? I did not, but that's dope. I didn't either. I just read it this morning, and I thought it was very interesting. Huh. Moving on, that guy who live streams the bus fight, he told Spider-Man to do a flip in Spider-Man Homecoming pretty neat it might have been far from home honestly i don't remember which one but um much like noob master 69 uh who is apple store aaron who now works at a microsoft store that we got from a commercial he is canon mm. and belongs in this universe we saw a whole bunch of easter eggs at the big tournament fight there is a black widow in the macau fighting ring uh, she is actually a Black Widow who portrayed one of the Black Widow soldiers fighting Scarlett Johansson in the Black Widow movie. The actress's name is Jade Zhu. We have not gotten the name of that character. We also see what might be an extremist fighter in one of the like glass boxes at the fighting ring. Also, remember Emil Blonsky, a.k.a. The Abomination? played by Tim Roth, who is set to return in the D-Plus She-Hulk series. Well, he's here, and he's fighting Wong, and then they just sort of, like, leave, and it seems like they're friends, so something is definitely going on there. Uh, also, Abomination now has the comic-accurate Finn ears, and to quote Todd, that's pretty dope. It is dope, because if you watch the Abomination from uh, the, the Hulk... Um the Edward Norton Hulk, he doesn't have the fin ears, and now he definitely does, which just shows you again how far we've come in the ridiculousness of superhero movies. For sure. Uh, the Eagles song, Hotel California, gets not one but three cameos in this movie, and the story of Hotel California is about a man being devoured by his life of sin from which he cannot escape. And that sure sounds a lot like Wen Wu's plot arc in this That's movie. That's so good. Isn't that rad? That's and that's so, so rad? Uh, so this section of the show brought to you by the colors of MCU magic. And uh, this is probably the one Easter egg we'll take a little bit of time to discuss. So Shang-Chi appears to use orange magic, which we've kind of come to believe from the MCU is like a learned magic. That's the magic that the sorcerers of Comertage and Doctor Strange and the like use. The Soul Eater seems to emanate purple energy and that's the same magic that agatha harkness uses in wandavision which a lot of people are saying is dark dimension magic and last but not least wenwu seems to use blue magic which i guess it should be stated that we don't know 
the Ten Rings, the artifacts are magic and not like alien tech, but something that we have heard in the MCU before is that magic is just science you don't understand. So I don't know, call it what it is. But when we use blue magic, which is the magic that we've really only seen kind of from the space stone and also from the witches who condemn Agatha Harkness in WandaVision in Salem. And we think that maybe that's like naturally occurring magic. I don't know, Todd, I know Kyle and I have talked about magic colors in the MCU. Where are you at with MCU magic color theory? Yeah, I buy into these. I, I think that um, I, I have also been privy to the magic in the MCU uh, conversations and, and theories here. And I think everything you're saying seems pretty spot on. Marvel, obviously, like I said, spent 10 years drilling colors to themes to things. And I think that... Um, there's still probably some un, some unanswered questions. Um, I, I'm in for what you said here. I think that orange is this like learned magic. That's what we've seen with Doctor Strange. It's kind of what I'm getting. They obviously had to show a color change for Shang-Chi for some reason. So there's that. Uh, definitely on board with the purple is like evil dark dimension magic. I think that's that makes sense. I, I also question why when we had the purple power... Um, or sorry, the blue power, which, you know, who knows? It's definitely different. He didn't have... I'm in to believe that Shang-Chi had orange magic because Shang-Chi was using magic of, like, his mother's people, whereas mm-hmm. when Wu was not, he was using just magic based off of the item itself. Um so I don't have any like good concrete theories here, but I definitely say there's going to be that reoccurring theme of colors. There's no way Marvel has gotten this far, shown us this many different colors of magic. Phase four is highly magical, as we've seen. Yeah. And so I'm guessing somewhere they've got a they've got a document that says rules of color magic. And they're sure. making everything fall under a specific one. Yeah, we got that really awesome scene of like, Shang-Chi with his five rings pulling against Wenwu with his five rings. And in that moment, I was like, well, blue and orange are complementary colors. And maybe they just picked them because they look really good opposite each other. But I do really feel like we are due for some exposition dump about the colors of magic and what they mean. Because there's also like green time magic that we've seen Loki throw around a little bit. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Colors matter. Uh, a last few Easter eggs before we do some predictions here. Chang-Chi's dragon scale armor that his mother left him in Talo is a really awesome MCU modernization of his current comic book costume. And last but not least, we get a post-movie stinger with Shang-Chi and Katie being summoned by Wong to chat with a non-smart hulked Bruce Banner who has what appears to be his snap arm in a sling. And Captain Marvel was also there. Both are communicating through the like hollow conferencing technology we've seen in half a dozen or other movies. They say the rings sent out some sort of beacon and call and seems to be something. They also note that the rings aren't vibranium and aren't Chitari tech. Shatari is the like faceless grunt army that Thanos controlled who attacked in the Battle of New York. So basically what they're saying, they all, oh, they also said that they're way older than the thousand years that Wen Wu had them. Mm-hmm. So what we did here was take one of the smartest people in the MCU in Bruce Banner, one of the most educated in the mystic arts people in Wong, and one of the most well-traveled intergalactic characters in Captain Marvel, put them in the same room, and they all said, we don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. So I think there are more answers about the Ten Rings coming, but no one that we have met has those answers yet. And with all of that being said, it's time to crank through some predictions. So before we sign off, we've covered a few predictions earlier, but do you... Todd Thomas have any remaining long calls for how this movie ties into the greater MCU. I have some long calls for how this movie ties into the greater MCU. Uh, Great. Would you like to share them? (laughs) Yeah. 
I'm really into kind of what I said where we're getting cosmic heroes and Earth-based heroes. That's been something that's rumored for a while. I think that's what we're getting. I did not foresee Mark Ruffalo playing a, like, I'm going to kind of put a team together role, and I'm into it. I like the thought that, like, obviously, Mark Ruffalo and Chris Hemsworth are not going to do this forever. They are, you know, they are really the only ones... And kind of Jeremy Renner, depending on what he does after the Hawkeye series. They're going to uh, kill him. They're going to kill him in the Hawkeye series. I swear him. to God, Fair. we're not getting more Jeremy Renner. So it, I think that we might end up getting Mark Ruffalo being the person that's trying to help assemble this next team. Because we are coming off the dust of Endgame and who knows what the actual Avengers team looks like. We also don't know how near after Endgame this happened. Um, we just know Endgame has happened. And so I like to think the Hulk um, slash Mark Ruffalo is trying to put together the Earth-based team, of which Shang-Chi will be part of. I am super into that. Give me it. And that's also what I like about the thought that the Ten Rings aren't these like reality-breaking things. They're just really, really powerful things. Um, so I like that call. That's what I'm going with. Um, I'm also going to stick with Captain Marvel is doing cosmic stuff. She's going to keep doing cosmic stuff. We really don't know what the storyline for the Marvels is, other than it's going to involve um, Monica Rambeau and uh, Kamala Khan. And so, personally, I like to think that whatever emergency she ran off to is attached to that, but that might just be too on the nose. Um, But I hope that she is in charge of trying to recruit the extra, like, outside, the, the, the intergalactic team. I like that. Um, and then Wong is playing like headquarters, which is kind of fun. I don't know. Um, the, the last stupid call is like, obviously the question is what is it signaling? Who is it signaling? Man, Galactus is our new Mephisto. I'm just going to go ahead and say (laughs) it. Um, I don't know if that's who it's signaling. I also don't know if Galactus is technically a celestial, um, it's calling to some old ancient danger. There's an alien race. There's a planet of space dragons. I don't know, man. Like, it's whatever whatever it's calling out to, I assume, is the origin of the rings. And I'm sure that Marvel has a primary, a secondary, and a tertiary plan for that. And I'm guessing that that is going to just go on for a while. And it's probably going to lead to some greater overarching thing. Maybe Shang-Chi 2 or 3 becomes our Captain America Civil War that sets up, like, the next big Avengers thing. Who knows? It's calling to something. The most obvious answer I can come to is something like Galactus or Planet of Space Dragons. Um, or whatever the whatever the version of the Eternals movie it's going to take place here. There were other planets that had their own version of the Eternals. And so maybe they are part of it. That's how we got the the Kree and the Scroll, I think. So, man, who knows? It's going to be something big. And I'm just, my Hail Mary's Galactus, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I vibe with a lot of those ideas. Um, good Lord, I hope we get a trilogy of Shang-Chi movies. Yes. I want that so desperately. Um, in honor of this being the last sidebar that we are putting on Debate This... I went back and listened to the first sidebar that we did yesterday, which was kind of weirdly because we've been doing this podcast for so long and this movie feels so recent, but it was on Infinity War. That was the first sidebar that we did. And when we were talking about predictions for Infinity War, I stuck my flag in the ground and I said, they're not going to kill off Tony Stark. He's going to (laughs) be the new head of S.H.I.E.L.D. after they kill off Nick Fury. And wow, did I miss the mark? (laughs) So I do kind of feel like maybe Bruce Banner is Nick Fury's right-hand man, is somehow involved Mm -hmm. with S.H.I.E.L.D., um, is is kind of rebuilding the Avengers initiative. And I think that's a really cool idea. Um, Man, I don't know what they're doing with Captain Marvel. I'm really ready for the Marvels movie to come out. Because I want more of what Captain Marvel is doing right now, yes. not what she was doing in 1995. Yeah, 
the um, I don't need I don't need what they did with Black Widow, what they did with Captain Marvel. I get what they did. That's cool context. I would agree. Also with the Marvels. Not that we're talking about the Marvels right now, but I want to see the Captain Marvel versus Rogue fight that has to happen where Rogue siphons some of her power and that's how she gets her powers. Like, yeah, I want I want that. And I think that's where we might get it. So I, you know, agree on all counts that like 10 rings are signaling to somebody. But honestly, I don't think we know who that is. I don't think it's going to be anybody that's already been teased. Like, I don't think it's going to be Kang. I don't really think it's going to be Gore the God Butcher or anything like that. I think it's going to be some new, likely cosmic power that we don't know about yet. And maybe it's Galactus. That'd be great. I am wondering if the rings are giving off a beacon to the Silver Surfer. And that's how we get the Silver Surfer, the Herald of Galactus, to Earth. And maybe that's how we get the Fantastic Four. But I don't know. I'm just I'm throwing balls into the end zone at this point. So I... I'm really good at theorizing what the Marvel shows are going to do next week, mm-hmm. what the movies mean for the future. Not so much my bag, as I stated earlier, that I was convinced Tony Stark would not die. So the, the Silver Surfer call is a fun one. I don't hate yeah. that. All right. Well, with all of that, I think we're going to go ahead and take off and probably go see Shang-Chi a second time. So <laughs> thanks for listening in to Debate This. Follow along with the argument on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at DebateThisCast, and check out our website at DebateThisCast.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review so more people can hear our fantastic, nerdy show. And if you're joining us from the new feed, thanks for listening to The Plus is Loose. We're super stoked to be rehoming sidebars to this new podcast feed, where they'll hopefully fit in a little better and stop getting bullied in the lunch line by flavor text. One more thing, we do have some really exciting updates coming for our Patreon. Stick with us as we inch closer to the annual departure of the Spooktacular Express, and you might just hear something cool. Until next time, I'm Matt Cole. And I'm Todd. Mephisto is Galactus. Galactus is Mephisto. Have you ever seen them in the same room at the same time? Thomas. And we're saying thanks for debating with us. And if you think we're wrong, then you can come fight us behind the swing sets, nerds. 